Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of March 28th from Pastor Brett Cottrell. I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 10. We started here last week as we, excuse me, as we get ready for Easter next Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday, and we are in Acts 10 doing that. We have been working our way through the book of Acts now for nearly a year. And as we do so, we find in Acts chapter 10, I think a chapter that in really many ways sums up for us the purposes of God in the cross and the resurrection. Last week we saw, excuse me, as Peter finds himself invited to meet a guy by the name of Cornelius, we began looking at what God was doing through Peter, and God was working in Peter's life to let him know that God was at work calling out a people to be made holy. And we looked at that a little bit last week. We remind ourselves that Peter saw this vision in Acts chapter 10 of a, of a sheet with all this food on it. Some of it was, quote, clean. Some of it was unclean. It was all the things that all the different animals were represented on this thing. And God had this vision to, uh, gave this vision to Peter three different times, saying to Peter, what I have declared holy do not consider unclean. And what God is doing and telling Peter that he is in the process of making and calling out a people to be holy. To be made holy. That is a separate, a distinct, and yes, even a righteous people. Not because of any quality that that people may have, not because of any merit those called out people may have, but because they belong by nature to God by His call. Peter has been raised with the idea all his life that you can only be holy if you were in fact a Jew who observed the law and had obeyed the rituals and had done all those things that had been passed down from the times of Moses and interpreted by the rabbis and the leaders of Israel. But in the cross, in the resurrection of Christ that we'll celebrate next Sunday in particular, we have seen that God is doing these things to not just a certain group of people, but to all people, for all to be made holy as He is holy. He even repeats the vision to Peter three times. Now, in case you wonder if that's an accident, no. You may realize that several times in Scripture, when we have a vision of heaven, as the angels and the cherubim and all the creatures are around the throne of God, and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Three times you see that word holy. And throughout Scripture, the only attribute of God that's repeated emphasize three times is the word holy and it's three times that god gives vision this vision to peter saying i am making a people who are to be holy so this is where we are finding ourselves as we come to acts chapter 10 and we saw this in the first 20 some odd verses of acts chapter 10 we will not this morning go back and reread those but we're going to begin this morning in acts chapter 10 verse 23 peter has had the vision The visitors from Cornelius, a Roman centurion, a soldier, have come to ask him to to, to show up, and that's where we pick up. So he, that is Peter, invited them in. That's the emissaries of Cornelius. And he gave them lodging. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter 
raised him up saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who's a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That's why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I ask for what reason you have sent for me. Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Heavenly Father, as we read this, as we consider it this morning, would your Spirit guide our thoughts? Would your Spirit guide my words? And accomplish the purposes you have set out for this portion of your word. And may we see the character of the God who has sent this to us. As surely as you sent Peter to Cornelius. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God, among other things, is a missionary God. He is a sending God. He is a going God. He calls, he sends, he's active, he moves. Now Peter, along with countless others with whom he was raised there in the nation of Israel, believed that God's plan included exclusively a national Israel. That would have been his understanding. And to be included in God's work meant becoming a citizen, a participation, a member of the nation of Israel, that national entity, which could only be done through the laws and the rituals that they had been passed down from Moses till that day. And Peter has now realized through the work of Christ, his ministry, and now through this vision he had in Acts chapter 10, that God is reaching beyond the ethnic, national, and ritualistic borders of Israel to include the Gentiles, non-Jews, like you and me. Even, for instance, here in Acts chapter 10, Israel's national enemies, the Romans, are now included. We talked about Cornelius last week. He is a Roman centurion. It is his job to command those who are the conquering people and invaders of national Israel. There's no other way to say this. The Romans are the enemies of the people of Israel. As surely as if we had a nation invading our borders and occupying us, so are the Romans. And now Peter finds himself in the home of a Roman soldier. Now just think about that for a moment. Think about who our enemies or your enemies may well be and understand that might be, as it was for Peter, who God is calling us to go to. Who God has historically called His people to go to. That's who Peter is now dealing with. We once, you and I, as those who are Gentiles, were once on the outside perhaps looking in. And now we have been invited into God's kingdom. People had come to Israel to be right with God. 
Jesus is now obliterating the idea you had to come to a place or a nation or a location. Jesus came to us. He did not wait for us to come to him. As we pray and think this morning about what God has done, the fact that he is a missionary God should be something that we consider this morning and that we specifically thank him for and even dwell on in our minds. We know that God is holy. We know that God is love. We know that God is compassionate and gracious, gracious, righteous, and patient. All those things. But do we also know that God is in His nature a missionary sending and going God? He does not sit still. To be like Christ, to follow the Lord, will include for those who follow Christ to be like Him also, not just in His grace, His compassion, His love, but to be also like Him in His going and in His sending. In Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes this, There is none righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. One of what it means to be as a what it means to be human in part means that there is nothing in any of us that on our own will cause us to seek out God. We're not righteous. We don't have any inclination to do so. And yet, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, that God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, not only have we rebelled and sinned against God, there's nothing in us that wants to look after God, and yet God knowing that we have turned our back against Him, knowing that we're not even interested in Him, has not waited for us to come to Him, but has instead come to us. This is what we're talking about when God is a, talk about God being a missionary, sending God. Now what does it mean for us to be sinners? You and I were born with a nature, a heart, a mindset, if you will, opposed to the very nature and person of God, actively refusing to acknowledge who he is or what he is like and what he has done. John Piper, I came across this week, has a, I think, a helpful definition, if you will, of sin, or at least a description of sin. I want to read it for you. This is what John Piper says. He says, sin is God's glory not honored, his holiness not reverenced, God's greatness not admired, God's power not praised. God's truth not sought. Sin is God's wisdom not esteemed. God's greatness not admired. God's goodness not savored. God's faithfulness not trusted. God's promises not believed. God's commandments not obeyed. God's justice not respected. God's wrath not feared. God's grace not cherished. God's presence not prized and God's person not prized. That is the essence of sin. And yes, it reveals itself in any number of actions that you and I see on a daily basis in our own lives and on the news. That is the nature of sin. And you and I are born in the habit and with the mindset and with hearts that do not recognize His glory, do not trust Him. And those things that we just read describe all of us apart from the saving work of Christ. And unless God had taken it upon Himself to come and to go and to send, you and I would be stuck in that 
mire and mud of sin, unable to get out. That's where Peter would have found himself. It's where Israel would have found themselves. It's where all the nations of the world would have found themselves. And this morning, it's where Cornelius would have found himself, if not for the act of God. That God has actively loved you and acted in every way in history to reconcile, that is, to make us right with Him. To restore a relationship that was broken and is continually broken is a remarkable thing. And in that process, in the fact that God comes to us, that He sends people to us and sends us, He's actively not waiting for us to come to Him since we won't. He comes to us. If we are, you and I, this morning, as those who perhaps profess Christ to be our Savior, if we are to follow and to be like our Savior, it means that we also must be ascending and going people. The early Christians, as we've seen in Acts, by and large, had mostly not left Jerusalem and not done what God had told them to do until persecution hit. Upon being scattered, now God is reinforcing to Peter this idea that there is a commission to go, even to places that Peter would not have gone before, to people Peter would not have gone to before, places and people that are hard. Jesus was sent by the Father. Peter was sent by Christ. Paul was sent, which we saw in Acts chapter 9. God sends us. He sends us. We go, not because God is powerless to accomplish His purposes unless we go, but because He loves us enough to include us in His work, to mold us into the image of our Savior, to be His image bearers. In Genesis, when God created the first Man and woman in chapter 1, chapter 2, when we see all that stuff take place, he gave a commission. He told Adam and Eve to go into the world, to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. That's what it means to be an image bearer, to be created in the image of God. And on the one hand, it means that there are parts of us, there's parts of you and I, that it somehow reflect the abilities and natures of God on a much smaller scale. But there's something in us that reflects who God is. But also what it means to be an image bearer, to be created in the image of God, means that we act in representation of God. If you were in the ancient world and you were bearing the image of somebody, that means you probably had on you somewhere, whether it be a coin or a stamp or a seal, you had something on your person that bore the image of whoever sent you. You were a representative, an ambassador. And to be an image bearer of God, to be created in the image of God, whether it's Adam and Eve then or us today, in part means that we are sent out into a world to act in His stead as His representative. When God gave Adam and Eve that commission in, Acts, or in, in, a, in Genesis 1 and 2, He was telling them that now, as He's placed them in this world that He's created for them, that they are to behave and act with the world that they are in and with each other in such a way as to represent God to creation to one another. So we, when we recognize that we are as human beings created in the image of God, I can look at you and see, yes, there's something about you that God created that made you unique. That's not like the other animals and other parts of this creation. But there's also this, that I look at you and see someone that God has set up to represent Him. This is why we take so seriously acts like murder. 
Because to murder, to attack another person is not just to attack that person, it's to, to attack the very image and representation of the Creator. You catch that? So, as Peter would have in the past looked at Cornelius, and maybe even, and Peter probably would acknowledge this, in Peter's past would have looked at someone like a Roman centurion, and in Peter's mind he would have said, I consider him to be a dog. Now Peter looks at Cornelius and sees someone made in the image and the representation of God. Now, that's the commission God gave Adam and Eve. That's flash forward to say places like Matthew 28. And some of the closing and parting words of Christ to his apostles and to us is to do what? To go into all the world. We, you and I have a commission as well. To, just like Abraham was sent, to follow the steps of Christ and to go, to be the image of God to a world that desperately needs him. When Peter arrives at Cornelius' home, he knows now that Cornelius has been called of God. You gotta love, I mentioned this last week. You have to love this introduction. Peter walks in, and Cornelius has a room full of people. Peter, uh, Cornelius has called his friends and relatives and associates, and now Peter walks in, and his opening remarks to this group of people is, you know, people like me don't hang out with people like you. That's a fine how-do-you-do right there, isn't it? And yet, Peter also, but he says it this way. I, he's saying that, but he's also confessing, but that was wrong on my part. I realize now that I was the one with the problem, not you, and that God has done something that I need to recognize. This is new territory for Peter. It's uncomfortable. It's hard. By the way, it's something that we'll see in the coming weeks when we get to Acts chapter 11. Peter had to describe it to others, and they didn't like it either back in Jerusalem. It was a difficult thing for them to, to wrap their mind around that Christ, that God was doing something to people that they didn't expect. Let me just pause for a moment. Who, who would you this morning, if anybody, would you consider an enemy? Or at the very least, who would you consider to be someone you don't want to be around? Maybe there's a name that comes to mind. I don't know. Maybe there is a type of person that comes to mind. Maybe there's a political party that comes to mind. Maybe there is an ethnic group that comes to mind. I don't know what it might be that comes to your mind. I hope, I'd love for it to be nobody. Understand that for Peter, the Romans were these types of people. In fact, throughout the last few chapters of Acts, it's been the Samaritans, it's been Paul, it's been Ethiopians, it's been the people of Joppa. One after another, God has been knocking down in front of Peter all the obstacles, all the barriers, all the groups that he thought God wouldn't work with. I mentioned a few weeks ago, as we, looked, as we began looking at these few passages, that God, to follow Christ, will often mean that we are uncomfortable doing things that are difficult for us. I even made the comment that if you have, in your life of walking and following Christ, have never been uncomfortable, you may not, in fact, be following Christ. You may be following your little idealized version of Christ, but not Him Himself. It's easier, by the way, it would have been easier for Peter to not go to Cornelius, to Joppa, 
or to Caesarea. It'd be easier for Peter to stay at this point in time in his life in Jerusalem or even go back to Galilee. That would have been the easier thing to do, the more comfortable thing to do. It's easier to not go. It's easier to not sin. It's easier to not be concerned with the idea of others at all. It's easier to not get involved in the work of the kingdom of God. It's easier to not love your enemies. It's easier to not worry about those who have rejected you. It's easier to not forgive those who have hurt you. It's easier to not seek those in need. It's easier to not go share the gospel with others. These things are easy. They're comfortable. But if we don't do those things, then we are not following in Christ's footsteps. Simple as it is. Straightforward as it is. It's easier to hold grudges. It's easier to fire off sarcastic memes or comments on social media. It's easy to not listen or to grow or to learn. Those things require no effort whatsoever. Sin is easy. It's in our nature. Dealing with and removing sin, that's hard. To go, to talk to a Cornelius, to stay with an unclean ritualistic tanner in Joppa, to go to Samaria, these things for Peter were hard and uncomfortable and they were exactly the part of the life that God had called him to do. They were what it means to follow in Christ's footsteps. And the thing is the same for us today. We see that God is sinning, is a sinning God. It reminds us that he is also an involved God. God here has not only come to Peter, he came to Cornelius. God, this, this whole meeting we see in Acts chapter 10 is something that God has orchestrated. He came to Cornelius, said, Cornelius, you do this. Peter, I'm coming to you, you do this. God's orchestrating and involved in the entire thing. You know, there are different, let me, let me just digress a moment. There are several isms in our world today. By isms, I mean a, a, a basic worldview, if you will. And I, I want to I narrow it down to four isms, I think, that almost every uh, thought, philosophy, religion will probably fit into in one way or another. The first ism is what I would call materialism. And that simply is the idea that nothing exists that you and I can't hold on to, materially speaking. That there is no such thing as spirituality or spirit. Those things don't exist. If you can't touch it, feel it, see it, whatever it is, it's not real. So obviously materialism would, would, would uh, say that there is no God, there's nothing along those lines at all. That's obviously a major part of many, portion, many people's lives and belief systems today. There's a second one that I would call pantheism, and that is that God exists in everything. You might see this in, a, in various Eastern uh, religions in particular, the idea that God's in the plants, He's in the animals. He's in the sun, he's in the moon. God is in all these things. Not as, not as a part of God's creation, but they make up God himself. Let me, let me have a little fun with you. For those of you who are into Star Wars, think the Force. But that's, that's a pantheism. There are a number of different religions and, and aspects of people's faith and spirituality that would fall into that category. Now my guess is if you're listening to me this morning and you're in this room, you're probably not in one of those two categories. There's two more I'd like to draw your attention to. There is something called, <clears throat> excuse me, deism. Deism believes that God exists, but that you and I can't know Him, and that He's uninvolved. 
Essentially, the idea is that God created and then left everything alone. It's like some, like God. You, some of you are young enough or old enough. I'm sorry to have played with a top. Y'all know, y'all know what a top is? A spinning top. Now, those of you who are younger don't have any idea what I'm talking about. But those of you who are older, you know what a top is. You spin that top and you watch it go in circles like this, and you're entertained by that. Sounds kind of boring when you talk about it, doesn't it? Well, the idea of deism is that, that, that God is the, he, he spun the top of creation and backed off and never touched it again and just, just kind of over here watching it. And that you and I can't know him. He's not involved with us. He made it all. He's there, but he's unknowable and uninvolved. That's deism. And then there's something we call theism. And in this we would find the Christian faith, the idea that God not only exists, but that we can know him and that he is involved. That he didn't create and leave us alone. He stays involved. He's in the midst of, he works inside his creation so that we can know him and love him and be loved by him. And this is where we land based upon the scriptures like in Acts chapter 10. If we are to love God, if we are to follow Christ, if we are to trust him, we must imitate him in all ways. By being gracious and compassionate, by yes, producing, seeing produced in our lives things that we call like the fruit of the Spirit. But it also means that we are to be a going and sending people, that the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel has to be at our very nature. That is the nature of who God is. It means it must be the nature of who we are. And if we are not a going and sending people, we are not following in the footsteps of Christ, period. It means we must choose to be involved, even proactive in loving, forgiving, praying, speaking, going, and sending. In this is God's grace to us, that we didn't reach up towards Him, but that He reached down to us and came to us. A couple months ago, we celebrated Christmas, the birth of Christ. God with us, Emmanuel. May we do the same. May you and I not be those who claim to follow Christ by waiting for the world to reach out to us, but that we would be those that, who, like Christ, reaches out to them. A couple weeks ago, Nathan uh, Chang was here, a church planter in Kansas City that we will be partnering with moving forward. And as we do partner with him, we will be sending teams to Kansas City not because he is in desperate need or not because the work of God will fail unless we're involved, but because we want to reflect the nature of Christ and be a going and sending people. Because we don't want to miss out on the joys of being part of what God is doing in this world. In May and in October of this year, right here in London and right here in Russellville, we will be a part of a couple of things called one day local, and then just one day. And some of you may remember last fall, there was the intention to have a large missions outreach event here in Russellville where the state of Arkansas, all the Babs, we're going to come here, two or 3,000 people, and do a massive one-day missions event. We were unable to do that because of COVID, but it's on the schedule for next fall, for, next, for this coming October. And in May, here in a couple months, we're going to do kind of a smaller local version of that on May 15th couple of opportunities for us to be going and sending. We're going to have things like Vacation Bible School. Yes, we're going to do Vacation Bible School this year. That's the intention. Later on in June, you have a chance to be a part of that, going 
and sending. Through daily efforts to pray, to talk to people God has placed in your, in your life, whether it be through work or through your neighborhood or through your family, wherever it might be, He has given you people to whom He's sending you. When you meet people, it's not by accident. God is sending you to go and be a witness, to be intentional in seeking out those that we think might never otherwise want us or wouldn't come to us. We are to go anyway. In Genesis, God came to the garden to walk with Adam and Eve because He wanted to be with them. He wanted to fellowship with them. In Revelation, the Scriptures end with God saying, I will make my dwelling with humanity. The Scriptures begin and end with God loving and involved with His people. And if we are to be like Him, to mimic Him, to be Christ-like, we will do the same. He is a going and sending God. The Father sent the Son, the Son sent the Spirit. The apostles have been sent. The word literally means those who are sent. Many of you have been praying for someone for the last several weeks. Continue to pray. But let me challenge you, this week, go. It's time to invite. It's time to share. If we go, once again to the Great Commission of Matthew chapter 28, Jesus sends us, but it also begins with this. I have all power, or all authority is given to me. Jesus begins that Great Commission, as we call it. And it ends with, I will be with you always. One reason we don't often go, or one reason we sometimes don't go, is because we have forgotten His power and we've left His presence. If you are living in the power of Christ and with the presence of Christ, you will be a goer and a sender. The only reason Peter finds himself this morning in Acts 10 in Cornelius' house is because God sent him. Because God had to practically slam him upside the head with the invitation. Because God demonstrated to Peter afresh his intention to send his gospel to the corners of the world. And that he is, for Peter's sake, he's making Cornelius an enemy of Israel into a disciple of Christ, one who is holy. Only God does stuff, does stuff like this. God demonstrates his purpose to Peter in this vision and by sending him to Cornelius. God demonstrates this, and Peter's acknowledging it by saying, I wouldn't otherwise be here, but God has sent me. It's God's power in all this. As you pray for your one this week, may you also go. We also send. We also pray. 